With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Sunny Talk Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sunny Giuliano. So today I wanted to touch on two topics. The Kawhi Leonard drama and San Antonio and then some NBA year-end awards. Uh, so tonight is the last night of the season. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring on than my resident San Antonio Spurs fan slash expert and the 2017-18 Father of the Year, Gianni oh. Bandito. Gee, how are you? Wow. It's an excellent honor. Thank you. And I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's great to see you. Well, for handing out awards, here's the way I look at it. You're eight days younger than me, and you're a father to a two-year-old and, like, an eight-month-old. Um, so you're definitely Father of the Year because the, the, the – <laughs> The idea of that scares the hell out of me, and you are doing it in stride. So congratulations. I'm the one-man voting committee, and that's the award I give you. Well, thank you. I'm honored. So how are you? It's been a while since we, we talked in general, definitely a while since we talked on the podcast. I, I don't even know the last time we talked on the podcast. Um, how are things? Things are going well. Um, excited to be here. I'm glad you asked me to, to come on and, and talk about this. And when you asked me to come on, you mentioned, you know, you wanted to discuss the Kawhi Leonard situation. And I had just happened to, you know, earlier that day actually be looking, um, just, just watching some videos, seeing what some of the, you know, experts and insiders had to say about what was going on. So then when you asked me, it was like perfect timing because I had, literally just been looking into that so well it's interesting because our mutual aunt aunt paulette had called me about a week ago and she asked me for my take on everything because she couldn't quite understand it um and basically what i told her is i don't think anybody really understands exactly what's going on here um i certainly don't i i think we all know whatever it is that we've been told. Um, obviously, the Spurs are a tight-lipped organization. The fact that as much has gotten out about this as it has, I, I am actually kind of surprised. But um, you've been a Spurs fan since the Tim Duncan days, the, the very beginning right after he came into the NBA out of Wake Forest. Um, I imagine you are very surprised by that, that all of this is playing out the way that it is. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the, my sort of thought process is I heard the first initial report was, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, the Spurs wouldn't be going through something like this, especially with Kawhi. I mean, look at Kawhi. He never says a word. He's not going to be causing any drama. Um, you know, this this is overblown. But then as it's gone on longer and you, you hear what people have to say about it and it's, you know, went on for weeks and months and, you know, Kawhi still hasn't come back and you, you've you heard what, you know, Spurs players have said and, and so on and what Popovich has said in addition to what the insiders are saying. And, you know, my, my thought was, you know, with the Spurs, as you pointed out, being very tight-lipped organization that made me think, hey, you know what, something really must be going on, and it, it might be pretty significant, and it's kind of scary because, you know, I mean, the Spurs were able to keep a lot of the Marcus Aldridge stuff quiet this offseason, mm-hmm. um, and later to, to find out early this year that he had demanded a trade, and, and that never got out. 
um, you know, quite got out until I think Popovich brought it up. So um, it's it's frightening because I mean Kawhi is is you know when he's at his best, arguably the best and certainly one of the top three players in the league. Sure. Um, and to think of the possibility of him not wanting to be in San Antonio, for me as a Spurs fan, um, it's depressing, <laughs> to be honest. Understandably. <laughs> um, well, let's backtrack, because I want to go back to when Kawhi came back in December. Um, he had missed... Uh, the half a month in October, he missed all of November. He came back and he played his first game on December 12th. And his last game that he played of the nine that he played was January 13th. And then he was out again. And initially, my thought process was, okay, this is Greg Popovich being forward thinking. Maybe Kawhi still doesn't feel right, and maybe they're just, Saving him for for mid March, and this is their way to get around the NBA cracking down on teams resting players. Um, then, when all this stuff came out about how Kawhi was unhappy, and you know Tony Parker makes these comments about how his quad injury last year was a hundred times worse, and all this stuff leaks out about how. Uh, the fact that Kawhi is Jordan brand, and this might be a Jordan brand ploy to get him to a bigger market. Then it all started feeling very weird. Up until that point, I really didn't think anything of it. I actually just kind of thought it was the Spurs being very Spursy and figuring out a way to rest a guy who maybe still didn't feel 100%, but it was more so just a maintenance move to ensure that by the time the playoffs started, he was ready to go. Um, did that thought cross your mind, or am I am I crazy in thinking a little bit too much into this? Oh, I I mean, I, I watching the games when he came back, and I know you certainly watched them too, um, mm-hmm. he didn't, I mean, he certainly wasn't 100%, and whether that be, you know, him taking it easy and not quite being confident yet, or the fact that the the injury was still sort of nagging and, and, you know, or maybe he was just getting the rust off one way or the other. He wasn't 100%. So when they said he was going to, you know, be out for the, you know, indefinitely, I figured, okay, they'll give him a couple weeks off and he'll mm-hmm. be back. But since then, it just dragged on longer and longer. And there's been, you know, reports that, okay, well, he plans to make his debut you know, this night, and then they could push back, and it's, and yeah, it's it's very confusing. I mean, when when that happened, I mean, I was more disappointed that, you know, our best player is going to, you know, set out. As much as I like the Spurs, this, this Spurs team that, <laughs> to watch as a Spurs team this year, it, I mean, it's, it's disappointing to see. Um, I want to, I, I do want to get, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on the Marcus Aldridge experience in this particular Spurs team because it has been an interesting year. Um, but I'm with you. To me, watching those games, and I, I didn't watch all of them. I, I watched a few of them, and I on NBA League Pass, they have this thing where it's kind of like a 20-minute recap of of the games. And I generally try to watch as many of those as I could. Um and to me, it looked much more like a guy trying to get rust off than anything else. I mean, he did average 16 points a game and 23 minutes per game in those nine games. So it's not like he was out there making a fool of himself. Um, he still wasn't the he, he wasn't the two-way threat that he was last year. Um, he, he didn't have that that bounce and that explosiveness, but. It's not like he was just a shell of himself. Um, so I, I'm I'm just left wondering what the real story is, and I imagine we'll we'll eventually figure this out. I just worry for you and for other Spurs fans that it will only come out when possibly he's traded in the off season. 
do you say do you think that's a possibility like a legitimate possibility obviously everyone is tradable if the offer is right but do you think that's something that the Spurs will be receptive of or even explore? Well, I mean, at this point, um, I, I think it's probably safe to say he's not coming back this year. And, I mean, my my hope oh, is that his his plan was maybe even right from the get-go or, or as the season came to a close, I have an opportunity to get a big payday this summer. I don't want to risk it. You know, I've seen what's happened to some stars recently who may have been misdiagnosed or came back from injury too early, and why not play it safe, especially if I'm happy in San Antonio. And, I mean, if if he wants it, the Spurs are going to offer him his, his super max contract this summer. And they have the record, if he wants I, it. I think that's the most likely explanation right. for everything that has gone on. Um, combining that with the fact that maybe there's a little distrust mm-hmm. in the Spurs medical staff and maybe Kawhi trusts his personal doctors a little more than the ones for the team, and that's understandable, especially when there's $200 million on the line. Right. Um, but continue. Go ahead with what you were um, saying. Yes, but but going back to your point about, you know, trading him, um, which I, I just hate even saying that. It's just feels bad <laughs> coming out of my mouth. But um, if he makes it clear that he is unhappy and he is not going to sign, I mean, it's you. I guess you do what you got to do, right? I mean... Look at look at the teams who have not made that move and been left with you know got nothing in return compared to teams who have at least got somewhat of a return and I think it's safe to say that you know if by the draft this year if if they know that Kawhi doesn't want to be in San Antonio this is a good draft to try to make a move and maybe get a get a high draft pick and and start to retool for the future um, around that guy. You have to imagine that that Pop has watched a little Luka Doncic tape and (laughs) (laughs) is possibly wondering how he could get his hands on the best international prospects maybe ever. Um, (laughs) You know, it's tough, though, because I'm still licking my wounds from what happened with Kyrie in the off season last year where he he kind of he bullied his way out of Cleveland um and and I don't I, I guess that comes off as negative and sure I I guess there's um some some negative feelings behind it uh but he he basically held Cleveland hostage and said if you don't trade me I'm getting knee surgery um that I mean that's come out Kyrie didn't come right out and deny it. So as far as I'm concerned, that happened. Um, and look at look at the result of that. Um, it didn't turn out that well for Cleveland. So in some respect, I get it. I, I get that San Antonio might be in the position where they feel like they're backed into a corner and they have to – they have to consider what Kawhi is saying. But on the other hand – you know, I, I'm I'm not so sure. It, maybe you're better off keeping that guy and hoping to salvage the, the relationship one year later. Um, on the other hand, you look at what happened with Indiana with Paul George, and, and that's about as well as you could, as that situation could turn out for the team that was forced to trade their superstar. So I don't know. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer, but it, it will be interesting to see if that happens, what the Spurs could manage to get for him. One of the, the rumors that I saw late last week, of course, had to deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, the rumor was that they would attempt to package Tristan Thompson and that Nets pick for Kawhi. 
Now, it, let, let's pretend that you're Greg Popovich or R.C. Buford. Is that enough? If Kawhi says that that he wants out, is that enough for you to, to pull the trigger on a deal? I don't know. I mean... I guess that probably depends on where the next pick falls. Right. I'm I'm thinking at least top five pick. You know, you got to get one of the elite prospects in this draft, and I think there's, you know, probably three, four, five of them. Um, and, and if not, I mean, it, but but when it comes down to it, I guess what I'll say is, I mean, the only person who knows is Popovich because he's going to be able to read the situation. He's going to be able to read Kawhi. He's going to have an idea. I'm sure if he if he truly thinks that he could convince Kawhi to come back, I would. I you know I another thought that was going through my mind as all this was going on was that even if there is some tension now between Kawhi's um, you know group of people and, and the organization. Once he gets on the court and he starts to play and he's feeling good again and the Spurs are winning, that's probably going to cure a lot of the problems. And I, I don't think he's had any problems with the Spurs in the past, so right. that might straighten things out. Well, so I, I think if you're going to give up, you know, Kawhi Leonard, who is, I mean, he's the guy for the next, you know, at least 10 years that you can be a title contender with it, you know, you can build around that. I mean, this is one of, one healthy, again, the premier superstars in the league, and that's, you know, not something that you give up unless you're getting a huge, huge return, and I just don't know if that trade that you, you know, proposed me, um, you know, that the Cavs may propose, if that's enough to pull the trigger. I, I think that offer would would be on the low end of what the Spurs could get for Kawhi. Um, and that, that, I guess, depends, too, on what his health is like at that moment. And if he has a clean bill of health, that, that feels low. Um, it would be interesting, though, to see if a team, like, let's say, Boston, and I know they, they already have Gordon Hayward, and they have Tatum and Brown, but it'd be interesting to see if in sort of a win now and in the future move, they were willing to part with Tatum and one or two of those future picks that they still own for Kawhi. But that seems like a way tastier offer than Tristan Thompson and the Nets pick. Right, right. But again, I, I don't know if Danny Ainge would, would risk that. So we'll we'll see. How do you think the situation plays out? Do you think it, it's just a a Kawhi playing it safe move, sitting out all the time, and then he he resigns for that supermax this summer? Is that how you think this ends up going? Well, I sure hope it ends up going. <laughs> um, and again, it's it's so strange because I mean, what what drama have the Spurs really gone through since you know? Popovich has taken over since they drafted Duncan. I mean, there was that, you know, scare when Duncan, you know, was considering leaving and going to Orlando. But, you know, other than that. That's a really good NBA what if. Yeah. (laughs) Other than that, I mean, what what have Spurs fans had had to deal with? So it's. Really, the the only other thing that comes to my mind is. The, the whole episode with Tony Parker sleeping with Brent Berry's wife. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, aside from that, they're really and then the Aldridge thing um, this year, which we like, as you said, we didn't find out until months later. And that's a good way to segue into this Spurs season and Lamarcus Aldridge. How I know it can't be as much as that that 2014 season when they when the Spurs won the title, but how have you enjoyed the Spurs season? It sounds like you're you're lukewarm, and I, I can't totally say I blame you. I mean, I think I've talked to you about this before. Um, it's really fun to have a, a player like Kawhi Leonard, and you know that because 
I mean, I've never, I, I don't think there is a bigger LeBron James fan in the world. And to be a fan of a guy who can just dominate like that, it's a lot of fun. It really is. So <laughs> when you're missing that, it, it does, you know, make the season a bit of a disappointment. And as good as LaMarcus Aldridge has been playing, certainly not the most exciting player, as well as, you know, the, the cast of characters that are surrounding him on the Spurs, um, you know, many of whom who have been there for years, some other guys who are, you know, new to the team in the past, you know, year or two. Um, you know, you, you kind of have the bright spot of Ginobili still being able to do his thing and show him. Oh, God, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, the, I think the just the amazing part is that they're still able to win. Like, yeah, they always have been. And, I mean, it, it's incredible with this team that they've been able to, you know, continue. I mean, what? Not many teams would be able to lose their best player and still be this this good. Yeah, 47 or 48 wins, depending on how things go tonight. Well, it, it speaks to the genius of Pop and, and the culture that he's created. And whether no matter how boring he is, LaMarcus Aldridge has been really good this year. Um, and especially the last month, he's averaging 28 and nine over the last month. And I actually, I, I have my end of season awards, uh, column going up tomorrow or today, depending, I guess if you're listening to this, it, it's already up. Um, but I have him, I have him on my second team all NBA and I have him number six on my MVP ballot. I think he's been sensational and I think, not to compare him to Tim Duncan, because obviously two completely different players, and Duncan is one of the five best ever. But the season he's had has kind of been Duncan-esque, where it's really boring, and no one seems to care that he's just consistently really good every night. And they, we look at the Spurs team, and we look at the roster, and... You know, it's just like, oh, how are they this good? I, I don't understand it. And it's really kind of the same formula that they've been winning with for 20 years now. So, I don't know. It, it's been a, it's been interesting season to watch the Spurs from my perspective, but I certainly get why your word to characterize it would be boring. <laughs> um, but there, there are some young guys on, on the roster that, I think you could feel good about. I mean, oh yeah, Dejounte Murray. You have to be pretty high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still in on Kyle Anderson? One of one of my favorite guys. Oh yeah, I mean he he he's been one of their most important players all year, and um, again, just doing everything that needs to be done. Uh, another guy who certainly. I guess he's flashy in his own slow sort of way. Yeah. Um, but but he's he's yeah, I, I like him. I like what he's shown this year. Um if he can continue to, to progress along with Murray who um just you know, he has loads of potential. Um yeah. and I don't know really really good defensively. I have him I have Murray on my second team all defense. I think that he's just super long, and it, it seems like he has a really good feel for the game, especially defensively. I think he's, and, I think he's ahead of the curve. And to add to that, I mean, one of the best rebounding guards in the league as well. Right. Um, so if he could continue to develop his offensive game, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good starter, you know, on a – contender, you know, for the, you know, years down the road. I'd agree. So without going too in-depth in the playoff picture, since there is still one night of games to be played, and if I think too hard about the tiebreakers, I'm I'm convinced I'll probably have a stroke. Um, 
Do you think there do you think there's an avenue where the Spurs could make a little bit of a run here, maybe get to the the conference finals or dare I say the NBA finals? I, I don't know. I don't see them being able to do it to be honest with you in a in a seven game series and um I mean I I know it was a different season but just thinking back to what happened against the Warriors in the playoffs last year when Kawhi did go down. Um, and how LaMarcus Aldridge was really a non-factor. Um, I don't know if he'll be that bad again, but I don't mm-hmm. think he'll be able to be good enough to, you know, take down a team like the Warriors. Um, I mean, the Rockets are, are playing. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be tough to beat, and there's just so many other good teams in the Western Conference. I mean, the Jazz, the Blazers. Um, I don't know if the Spurs could take down, you know, a couple well, uh, of, you know, multiple teams in order to make it all the way to the finals. Well, my two cents would be this. If the Spurs end up the seven seed, and right now, according to uh, ESPN's DPI, that's their most likely spot that they're going to end up, the seven seed. If they do, and they draw this Warriors team, which I guess they would because the Warriors are locked in the two. Without Curry, that is a very winnable series, in my opinion. Because I I know that people who would disagree with me would say that there's a switch that the Warriors could flip. Um, I, I just don't know how many times you could flip that switch without Stephen Curry in the picture. I think that it's just a completely different team, a different dynamic that lacks an identity. And I think that, that Pop is good enough to exploit that. I, I'm not saying that that's a guaranteed win. I think it would be a close series. And if they get by Golden State and then all of a sudden they're playing Portland in round two, are we really going to say that Portland is a definitive favorite to win that series? I wouldn't think so. I said, all I'm saying is I think that depending on the matchups that happen in the West and maybe even a little bit in the East, it's probably more wide open this year than it has been in any of the last, I don't know, probably since LeBron went to Cleveland, right? I mean, the Cavs are in more danger than they have been since he came back. The Warriors definitely are. So, I don't know. I think it's going to be a great postseason. Yeah, I think you make a good point there that, you know, maybe it is the Spurs who knock off the Warriors, or maybe it's someone else who Mm -hmm. does that and knocks off the Rockets. But, I mean, there are – any team that makes the playoffs, I think, in the Western Conference certainly – has the ability to win a series against one of those, you know, teams at the top, yeah. the Rockets, the yeah. Warriors, or whoever. And, and if that happens early and, and you end up with some, you could end up with some interesting, unexpected matchups, and who knows what could happen. So. Well, like I said, I didn't want to go too in-depth on that just because there's so much left to be decided, but... um I did want to get your your take on some of the end of the season awards since we do only have one night left and decisions for awards really shouldn't come down to the last game. Is would you say that James Harden is the runaway winner for MVP or do you think do you think there's someone else who is worth discussing as the potential MVP of the league? As much as I hate to say it, because for whatever reason I'm just not a big James Harden fan, I, I think I think he is a runaway, which is pretty impressive in a season where if you look at the numbers some guys are putting up. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, look at, obviously, what LeBron's doing. I mean, Westbrook's close to averaging a triple-double again, and I don't oh. even know. Here, here is what's going to happen tonight. Russell Westbrook needs 16 rebounds tonight to get a triple double for the season. He is getting 16 rebounds. He, that is, we might as well just talk about it as if he got those 16 rebounds because the other night um, when they were playing Miami, 
he he had no interest in in boxing his man out. He had no interest in running out. He he had no interest in getting back on defense. He was crashing the offensive glass. It was amazing how how um, he just had the blinders on and was going after those rebounds. It was actually uh, I'm very impressed by it the, how how dead set he was on grabbing as many rebounds as possible. So he will get those rebounds tonight. He will average a triple double. Um, and that's the amazing you know, that, thing that that he's as you said he's probably go, going to average a triple double. And is he really going to even be in consideration for the MVP? I mean, that's well, how he might, good. He might not even. He might not even make first team All NBA. Right, right. I, there, and this I is something him, averaging. I don't. I don't have him on my first team All NBA. I have Damian Lillard as the the second guard spot. Uh, Lillard was incredible, and there was a a twenty five game stretch there where he. He was basically Stephen Curry, and that might sound like sacrilege, but he was just lights out and averaging 30 a night, and the Blazers were winning. Um, I think he, he's just been sensational. Um, and you could certainly make a case for Westbrook, but, yeah, the the numbers that some of the guys are putting up this year. Anthony Davis. Davis, he had his own <laughs> midseason stretch where he, he was just tearing everybody apart. Um, so Harden, number one, and I think it's deserved. Uh, he, he probably should have won last year and I, I got, I got sucked into voting for Westbrook. And for me, I, it wasn't, it wasn't totally that he averaged a triple double. Um, that, that was part of it. And the fact that it was a 30 point triple double had something to do with it. But to me, uh, the big thing that I tend to look at for MVP, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I kind of just look at the narrative of the season and just kind of try to decide whose season was it, like who did it belong to. And last year it was just – it was all Westbrook. It was his revenge tour. It was him just going bananas on everybody. And I don't know if I was right or wrong with that pick. I, I I think if I had to do it again, I would still vote for Westbrook. Um, but the Rockets are 10 games better this year than they were last year. Uh, Harden is more efficient this year. Defensively, he's been better than he was last year. I I think it is a relatively easy choice. Um, who would you have number two? Oh, man. <clears throat> uh, there's just so many guys there. It's, it's tough. Um, I mean, I brought up Anthony Davis. I brought the Pelicans to the playoffs. He did so with not much help. You know, Cousins going down halfway through the season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really impressed with what he's, he's done. You bring up, I mean, Westbrook, you know, it's what he's doing is amazing, and it's like the fact that it's not even a, a big deal when he gets a triple-double, it's almost expected. I mean, right. that, I don't know if that takes away from what he's doing, but that's, that's impressive, and... um you know, that that Thunder team, you know, has struggled a bit at times. George and Carmelo have certainly struggled, but he's always, you know, came ready to play and done exactly what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, LeBron, um, who um, just continues to play at an elite level, you know, again, to be expected. And, and again, with what the Cavs have gone through this year um, and, and still win 50 games and, and that's obviously you know almost entirely because of LeBron so I'd say you know probably one of those three but it's a 
it's a toss-up. Yeah, I had LeBron two, Anthony Davis three, um, and Lillard four actually, and then I, I rounded out my ballot with Giannis. I saw that Bucks team in person, um, and it was actually like two games before Jason Kidd got fired. And my big takeaways from it were that that roster is just like it looks like it should be good on paper, but you just watch the parts together and it just doesn't fit. Um, and the coaching was so bad. I I have never been to an NBA game where I felt like there was a bigger coaching mismatch than Spolstra and Jason Kidd. It was just, it was glaringly obvious and, and Kidd got fired like three days later. Um, but I think what Giannis has done getting that team to 44, 45 wins is probably just as impressive as Anthony Davis getting the Pelicans to 48 wins. I think it, it it's right there with it. And, you know, you, you feel weird voting for a guy or giving a guy serious consideration if they're only three or four games above 500. But it's really hard to, to cut down Giannis's value. Right. Because th- that would be a, a for sure lottery team if he wasn't there. They would have been tanking by the time March rolled around. Um, so, so yeah, I, I have him fifth on my ballot. Uh, so all NBA, you would have, you would have Harden and Westbrook as your guards. Um, Anthony Davis technically could be in there as center or forward. Um, so I assume you'd have him and LeBron. Who's your first guy then? I, I, I think gotta be Durant. I, I don't so know. that but the the Durant thing was interesting to me. Um he's been really good two ways. Like it, it, this is one of the stronger two way seasons that he's had. Um but he did miss a pretty good chunk of time. I think he was gonna end up at um, 66 or 67 games, and I I just am having a really hard time getting over how much different the Warriors look with those three guys, Durant, Clay, and Draymond, without Steph. Mm-hmm. And I, I had been I had said this before. Um, I think that. Durant is probably a better basketball player than Stephen Curry, but Curry is more valuable to the Warriors than Durant is. But um, I, had, I had a hard time putting Durant in my top five for MVP just because he's not even the most valuable player on his own team. Um, right, right, and that's why, I mean, when we talked about that, I didn't even consider him because, you know, that Warriors team, if you're talking about most valuable players, it really is hard to when you have so many other guys that are really carrying the load for their team. But what you brought up in terms of best, you know, player and, and what Durant does on both ends of the floor is is why I had him on my team. So, that, and that makes sense. I, I I had to give real thought between him and Giannis for that yeah. for that other forward spot. Um, so I have Durant second team. Um, I think Embiid is the second team center. The one of the things I, I struggled with to the very end, and truth be told, I don't know what my pick is going to be as we're doing this podcast right now. I don't know who I'm going to settle on for my third All NBA team center. Um, it really might come down to tonight, and it'll either be Jokic or Towns. Um, that's probably the most difficult decision that I've had to make on either of these teams. Uh, where would you lean between those two? You're a Towns guy, though, right? I was a Towns guy. Oh, has this changed? He hasn't turned into what I expected him to. And, I mean, he's a 
excellent player, but I, I think what the comparison I used when I talked about what I thought Towns would be is he'd sort of be like the Shaq of this generation, where Shaq was just a player unlike anything the league had seen with how dominant he was. And I thought Towns, not that he was going to be so dominant in the middle, but dominant in terms of, you know, being such a versatile player, being able to be a, a seven-footer who could play like a guard, shoot like a guard. Um, and, I mean, I thought by this point that he would be much more dominant. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess I'm slightly let down. I mean, not that he is not an incredible player, because obviously he is. Um, and not saying that that sort of is would be the deciding factor between, you know, him or Jokic for that, that 13. But um, I guess it's just I expected him to be more at this point, so I guess I'm cooling a bit on Towns. Well, I'll I'll briefly come to the defense of Carl Anthony Towns. Andrew Wiggins is taking two more shots per game than Towns is. And I think that falls on Tom Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is not a universe in which Carl Anthony Towns should be only getting 14 shots per game. Um, not when he shoots close to 55% from the field or 42 percent from three-point range, um, which is, is just ridiculous that he is shooting three-and-a-half threes a game and shooting 42%. Yeah. It's better than what Steve Nash shot in his MVP seasons. Um, he, he should be getting more than 14 shots per game. Um, and that would that would be my defense of him. I think he's being poorly coached. Um so I, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it will probably come down to tonight as unfair as that is. They, those two are very even. For me, Jokic has been just awesome down the stretch with, with the Nuggets needing every win uh, basically on their schedule, and they've gotten almost all of them. Um, so it might come down to who outplays the other tonight. The, the one other thing I wanted to get your opinion on. Okay. A really good – Rookie of the Year class, and and recently a really interesting Rookie of the Year feud with Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. Where do you where do you stand on all this? Who are you favoring for Rookie of the Year? I absolutely love Donovan Mitchell. That's my okay. guy. This, this, this will be good because I I am I am on Ben Simmons. So let, okay. lay out lay, lay the case out for Donovan Mitchell. So this, I guess, you could kind of look at this as, uh, in my opinion, sort of who's the better player versus who's the more valuable player. And Ben Simmons is a, you know, amazing talent. Um, but I mean, Donovan Mitchell to be drafted by this. Jazz team who had just lost their superstar in Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. wasn't expected to do much this season. Um, wasn't you know a, you know was a what, a, a mid lottery pick or was he the lottery yeah he was thirteenth thirteenth okay thirteenth pick um, so not expected to do much and not you know getting a ton of attention throughout the year because I mean he's playing for the Utah Jazz. Um, but, I mean, he's been incredible all year, and he's immediately, you know, he stepped onto that team and is, you know, he's just their man. Like, he's, he's their leader. He is, um, I mean, doing it all. He, I, I don't know. I, I love the way he plays. I, I love his game. Um, he's Dwayne Wade with a three-point yeah. shot. Yes, I, I'm so glad you said that. I because I didn't want it to come off like I was I was bashing Donovan Mitchell. I actually in the column that is going up tomorrow, which if you're listening to this is today, I wrote that he has flashes of Dwayne Wade. I I swear to God I wrote that. 
So, I mean, he, in my, I mean, he's, not that he's in contention, you know, for the most valuable player award, but he is very, very valuable to that team. He's clearly their star player, whereas Ben Simmons is talented as he is and with all the things that he can do and, and, you know, maybe I'd even be willing to admit that he is more talented and a better player than Donovan Mitchell. Um, I mean, that's Embiid's team, in my opinion. And I think that's sort of why I, I give the nod to Mitchell. Um, I mean, because because the Sixers have a star player, and, and they, they're getting a lot of attention because of, you know, what, how bad they've been in recent years and how this is finally the year where the process is, you know, it, it's showing that it's, it's working. Um, mm-hmm. They're in, in a larger market. You know, Simmons was the top pick in the draft, um, you know, uh, a year ago. So, I don't know. I, I, I just, for me... You can't go wrong either way, in my opinion. No. But I, I like what Donovan Mitchell has done a little more. And that's entirely fair. I think this is probably the best two-man race. And I did not do any research for this, so I'm not totally sure. But to me, it feels like the best two-man race for a rookie of the year since LeBron and Carmelo. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that... that Either one of these guys are going to turn out to be LeBron. I, I do think that from what I've seen from Simmons and Mitchell, I think their ceilings are probably both higher than Carmelo's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went with Simmons, and I actually have Simmons in my third team All-NBA. Uh, I, I just – I think he – to me, he is already – what I expected that he would be at his peak. Mm. And and I guess to some degree, Mitchell is probably the same. Like if somebody would have told me before the draft, like, oh, Donovan Mitchell's peak is going to be 21 points, three rebounds, three assists, really good defense, and the Jazz will win 48 games. Um, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. right. But to me – Simmons just—he already looks like a guy who's been playing in the NBA for for five years. Just physically, he's so mature. Um, there might not be a better, bigger athlete in the league, with the exception of LeBron and Giannis. Just when he gets a full head of steam and he's attacking the basket, it's like you're not going to get in that guy's way. And he is already one of the three or five best passers in the league. And I, I got to give him credit. He he has no jump shot. He has no interest in taking a jump shot. And teams still haven't figured out how to exploit that to a, a large, to, to like the degree where it really hurts Philadelphia to have him on the floor. Like he, he's just so smart and, and, when, I mean, somebody made a good point the other day, and now I don't remember who it is, so I feel foolish, but they, they said that the fact that defenses play so far off Ben Simmons it actually works to his advantage because it gives him an extra few feet to get ahead of steam going to the basket. And that, that's actually a really good point. He's turned that weakness into a strength. Um and defensively, I think he's been a little bit better than Mitchell. I think their ceilings defensively, they're both really high. Um, I imagine they'll both end up on a number of all defensive teams throughout their careers. But I would give the slight edge to Simmons. Um, but you really can't go wrong with Mitchell. I think they're an easy one-two in the rookie of the year voting. And I think that uh, Jason Tatum is probably a safe three. Yeah. Were there any and other? I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I, I mean, I, I, I think that it, it will be Simmons, and I think 
like you said, physically how impressive he is and how unique of a player that he is. Um, I think that helps him. Um, and, I mean, it's interesting because you have, you know, you know Simmons who sat out a year. Um, a few years back, Blake Griffin sat out a year, and, I mean, he mm-hmm. easily won rookie of the year and, like, you know, you know, sort of using the how he's a man, you know, you know what I mean? Simmons is yeah, that's actually Griffin was the same way, and yeah, that's like a year to, to mature, not only you know physically but also mentally. Um, you know, it it shows that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can that that can do a lot of good to you. If, you know, you're coming into the league injured. It may not be a bad idea to play it safe, set it out, learn, and and um, and teams are doing that more with the D League too. So, or the G League, excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a good point. I didn't even think of the Griffin comparison. And actually, I think that's. And I know that the the people who live and die by the belief that college basketball is better than the NBA will disagree, but I think that's why eventually there will be um, some traction and you'll see more guys heading straight from high school to the G League rather than college. I think that it might be a better learning experience Mm -hmm. than what you get in college where the game is is so clunky and, and, so few coaches are inventive, and it, I don't know. It feels like I watched a lot of games that were like out of 1995 in the NCAA tournament this year, and I'm not sure if that's I'm not sure if that's better for for guys than going to the G League or you know even if they go back to the the drafting guys straight out of high school. I think some guys are just better suited going right to the NBA, even if they're spending half a year developing their skills in the G League, I think it might be better. But and I mean, that's a... I think the per- a perfect example of that is someone who we talked about earlier in this. Look at Carl Anthony Towns, who was really held back, you know, at Kentucky and not mm-hmm. able to play like the, the player that he could have been playing like. Um, I mean... And, I, I, and you he know, could have been I, so much more dominant in college than he was because of what you just described. And I know that Coach K is college basketball royalty and all that stuff, but you can't tell me that Marvin Bagley wasn't misused this year. Mm-hmm. That that was a guy who who they they just did nothing creative for offensively, and he. He basically spent the year catching lobs and grabbing offensive rebounds and going back up and dunking it. He, he'd he be way better suited going pro and, and playing with a with a real NBA point guard with a coach who is actually going to do some stuff to, to get him touches and spots where he could score. I, I don't know. I, I love the NCAA tournament and, and college basketball is a lot of fun, but sometimes it feels like it's a completely different sport than than the NBA. And uh, if you look at who's been in the past three championships and won the past two, or not the past two, but two out of the past three, it's been the coach who has been getting his team to play more like the NBA style. And and I wrote I wrote that about Villanova and that's why I I loved that I loved this particular Villanova team because it, it was like it was a lot of those games it was like Jay Wright was playing chess and the other coach was playing checkers it was it was no match and they shot the lights out they had really good players but he I mean he had one McDonald's All American on those two teams Mikael Bridges like all the other guys they were. <laughs> Just your the four star recruits, and he he's a really smart coach, and he let these guys space the floor and shoot threes, and it was they were the most fun team to watch in the country. Yeah. Um, any other NBA stuff we should we should touch on before I let you go? 
The only other one I was thinking was possibly Coach of the Year. That, that one's impossible this year. <laughs> it, it really is tough. It, like, I've seen a few different people on Twitter saying, like, oh, it's definitely this guy. And it's like, yeah, how could you be that sure? Right. Like, right. You, you can make a really strong case for for Quinn Snyder, Brad Stevens, Dwayne Casey, Nate McMillan, Mike D'Antoni, Harry Stotts, Brett Brown, like Popovich and Spolster are grandfathered into that conversation. <laughs> ten, ten of the coaches in the NBA are, are legitimate coach of the year right. candidates. Who, right. who would your pick be? Well, I, I basically was about to uh, probably going to say what you were, what you just said. Um, I mean, I was thinking McMillan, Popovich, Quinn Snyder. Um, one of those three, but but like you said, I mean, it, there's there's so many guys. And for what it's worth, I I went with Quinn Snyder. He was my pick. I I just felt like um they they lost Hayward to start the year. There are just a lot of guys on that team that that should be like your fifth best guy, like Joe Ingles, who's really good. Ricky Rubio, who it seemed like nobody wanted, and he's having a good year. Um, Gobert missed basically a third of the season, and, and they they were nine games under 500, and now they they had the best record in the second half of the season. Them or Houston, I think that depends on what happens tonight. But to me, that, that was the most impressive coaching job, the fact that he has established – that culture in Utah so quickly, I, I think that, that's admirable. But like I said, if if somebody went with McMillan or Pop or, or Brad Stevens or Dwayne Casey, like all those guys have a legitimate case. Um, hey, what are you currently teaching your your kids in history? What topic am I teaching them? Yeah, like what, where are we? Okay, um, which which class do I teach about four different history classes? Um, um, I, let's see. We got, in my global courses, I'm teaching uh, Protestant Reformation to freshmen and um, 20th century China, so Mao Zedong to the sophomores. And um, I'm also teaching a, an AP European history class where we're discussing World War One. See, that's right up my alley. My, my my favorite was always the European history. I took a few yeah. I took a few European history courses in college. That was always my favorite. Um, so I, I wanted Very to tell you that definitely my favorite class to teach the European history. Yeah. So I wanted to to tell you a story that actually happened today. Because um, I'm also a teacher. I, I teach. PE, physical education, to elementary kids, um, for anybody who's listening who doesn't actually know me. So I, I've been doing basketball with the kids since, like, the beginning of February. And about a month ago, I hopped in a game of knockout with one of the fourth grade classes. And it was down to me and one kid, and he actually beat me. He we were the last two left, and I missed my shot, and he made his. He beat me fair and square. Um, and ever since then, he's been going on and on about how he could beat me in a, in a game of one-on-one. Like, it's every day I see him, he tells me that he could beat me one-on-one. So today I have this class, and we're wrapping up. I blow the whistle, and I, I tell them, hey, bring your balls over to the bins over here. And I'm standing underneath one of the baskets, collecting all the basketballs. And he's dribbling up to my hoop, and I could tell just by the way he's dribbling and, like, running, he's getting himself ready to go up for a layup. So I try to act like I'm not paying attention to him. So as he goes up, I step up, and I just send his shit back as hard as I possibly could. And I look at him, and I tell him, this is what would happen every single time you tried to shoot on me if we played one-on-one. <laughs> and I realized that maybe I'm not cut out to be an elementary PE teacher. <laughs> I do remember you telling me that you were told 
specifically not to play with the kids. So I <laughs> I was told, and and I didn't. I haven't challenged him to a one-on-one game yet, even though I really want to. Um, but I had to prove a point, and that was my opportunity to. He, he wasn't expecting it. But I, I just wanted to send a message that, look, I'm, I'm still a foot and a half taller than you. So you're not you're not going to be able to shoot on me. And I'm going to take you in the post every time, and, and you're not going to be able to stop me. I just wanted to get that message across to him. He took it That's like awesome. a good sport, too. I'll give him That's credit. Awesome. He, he laughed it off. <laughs> uh, Gianni Zanguido. Thank you so much for coming on. Can can we lock in a couple more appearances during the playoffs? Can I get you committed, or are you too busy with your AP history and being father of the year? Sounds good to me. I'll, I'll be there. Lock it in. That's All right, it. buddy. We'll, we'll get in touch once the playoffs start, and um, we'll figure out a time to get you on. All right. Sounds good. All right, pal. Love to your family. We'll talk soon. All right. All right, take care. You too. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.